Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Coffee bitch, right now. Hello, Fem Fam. Welcome to the show. Your girl is hyped up on coffee this morning. She's with Tessa. We're actually in person. I know you guys can't see us right now, but we're together in yes. person for like, yes. I don't know, the fifth time this year. Like, it's so exciting. I love <laughs> being in person with Tessa. <laughs> in our PJs. In our PJs. You know. It doesn't feel much different from our Zoom calls because, yeah, we're yeah. both still just like, give me coffee <laughs> in our PJs. In the trapped room that we are quarantining in for so, so long. But thank you guys for sticking with us. We hope we've been delivering. And today, I'm really excited to introduce our guest. She's someone I met networking on LinkedIn, which, guys, hello, a whole new platform to discover. I know we've met so many great people on Instagram, and it's been so amazing to connect there. But you know, stock your favorite companies, companies that you feel are really pushing for different voices or changes. And like, look at the people on there. You can totally connect. Like, don't be awkward and like, you know, demand the world or anything, you know, use your brain, but, and, and just feel free to like, start looking at people, find their gram, start following them, see what projects they're doing. And you'd be surprised who responded, who responds and who's willing to share. Cause more likely not everyone's just trying to help each other out. That's what's so beautiful about the independent filmmaking community and while we're here. So um, without further ado, the delightful Blythe Kala Wiedemann. Hello, thank you. I will wait, hold on. Guys, I'm butchering this intro already. No, she is the producer and associate producer for companies like Fine Brothers Entertainment, Microsoft, Lionsgate. And I just, what stuck out to me more so than her list of credits on her LinkedIn was that she was also very just open about her identity as a Latinx, a queer lady, and just I love that. I fucking love that you own who you are, especially when you've worked with such big companies. I think that's how we can create changes and have more voices in the writer's room or what content we're having out there. So I was just like, she is obviously a boss lady who owns herself. And I want to hear about that because I don't, I don't know what it's like to be in those rooms yet. And I want to be, and I want to make those changes and, and like how you're making your own content and you also said that you started from a production assistant level, and I want to hear like how you climbed the ladder, and I think our audience would love that too. So, hi, welcome, <laughs> welcome. 
I'm just like, you make me sound so cool. (laughs) You are, girl. You are so fucking cool. That's why I hit you up. When you stop and you list it out on paper, like, trust me, it feels like you're like, oh my God, I've actually done all of this stuff. Like, (laughs) It's true. And actually, like a lot of that, uh, it took a really long time for me to be comfortable putting out what my identity was online because I was so afraid of well, like, are they going to put me in a hole or like in a, like a peg for this? Like, are they going Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, she's just this because of that? Or are they going to not believe me? I've actually had people not believe that I'm Latinx because my name sounds so white, despite the fact that like my Latinx side is where the Wiedemann last name comes from. Oh my God. (laughs) And they're like, that's totally weird. I think it's just like one line of people because the rest of my family is like super deep roots in Colombia like they've been there forever so we don't really know how we have such a german last name mm-hmm. but like we're colombian we've always been colombian that's the history of that side of the family so we're like i i've gotten a lot of pushback and like oh i didn't know or and mm-hmm. one day i was like no this is who i am this is what i want to represent i want to get these voices in the room i want to stand for something I am queer, I'm Latinx, and I'm going to be open about it, and I'm going to be proud of it, because at the end of the day, that's, that is the only way to make change if yeah. people like me who are passing aren't putting it out there and being proud of who they are. How are we going to expect people who aren't as lucky to pass or as privileged to also have that same experience? So I, want, I was like, I'm going to be empowering my identity so that I can help empower other voices which is something I really, really, really stand for. And that has not been, that has not been an easy road. I have had companies tell me to stop pushing your agendas. I've had companies stop telling, like, oh my gosh, give me pushback for trying to push for diversity. That's like I said, I'm passing, like I pass, but I'm so open about it that people give me, like they treat me that way. And as a kid, I was less passing. So like, I have a very weird experience with being Latinx and that as I got older I got lighter skinned yeah but uh it's it's I have a lot I have a lot of stories about trying to being in the room and being like you can't do that I had a video I won't say which company it was but I had a video that I was that they were trying to make that was about different forms of Spanish Mm -hmm. and they wanted to kind of make it a game and they were like, well, what if we do it to where it's like, which form of Spanish is better? And I had to like, stop them right there. Oh and be like, my God. You can't do that. Right. First of all, that is like an actual argument that happens amongst Latinx communities. And you will just be feel like feeling almost a form. It's like, it's almost a form of classism. Absolutely. I don't, I don't quite know how to explain it because it's, it's very difficult to explain when you're not in it, mm-hmm. but like, being Colombian, I know that a lot of Colombians think they speak better Spanish than someone from Puerto Rico, despite the fact that it's just different and different roots. And the reason, like, it's just, it just developed differently and that's fine. But there is like a lot of proper and improper Spanish debates amongst the Latinx community. And I just had to like, I was like, white people, you can't do this. (laughs) You can't. Especially because you're not going to have the nuance to talk about why this happens. You're right. not going to have the ability to explain what's going on. Like, you can't do this video. And they're like, well, what if we just don't do that part of it? And I was like, that's fine. You can, <laughs> you can do, like, 
your bilingual video about bilingual people. Just don't try to make it a game of which Spanish is better because that is. <laughs> which sounds like yeah. so obvious, you know, but again, yeah. like that's why it's important to have someone like you in the room because maybe accidentally, poor God bless them, their souls, they don't, they just like, it didn't hit them on the head. Whereas it's like us who like, you know, are, I, I know exactly what you're talking about too. Like, um, and you gotta, you gotta speak. It's good to have diversity in the room for those reasons too, to just prevent things like that from happening. I wasn't in the pitch room for that. They came back later and they were like, "Oh, this is what we're doing." And I was like, "You can't what? <laughs> what? Right? Is this what happens when I'm not in there? <laughs> is this what you come up with?" But that's like, why it's so important to have so many different voices to represent. You know whatever the case may be, like this is specifically a Latinx issue, but you know, whatever the issue right. is, whether it's race, sexuality, whatever, like that's why it's so important because yeah, a lot of times people aren't racist on purpose, <laughs> you know, they just don't realize. And like you said, it should be so obvious. I'm not Latin and I could have figured that out, but exactly. that's not okay. Yeah. But like, it isn't always obvious to people, you know, and that's why you need that. Yeah. And they, that was the same company that later told me to stop pushing my agendas and were very like, don't do, you can't, you can't put this on the audience kind of thing. And I was, I was a little bummed because for a while at the company, it seemed like they were receptive to my ideas. And then suddenly I was being told that I can't be doing that, that I'm forcing something that I'm, uh -huh. I'm trying too hard. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I think, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't my video, but there was a video where we didn't cast any white people in it. And we were, the cast was great. It was a really great cast of people. I loved every single one of them. And then the higher ups got so angry that we didn't include one white person. <laughs> and we were just like, we just cast the best people for the video. Right. And it happened to not be white people. That's all that happened. And they were like, so angry at us. And we were just like, why is it, why does it matter? Right. Like, it shouldn't. Right. And I think that kind of, I, I just love that because I just think, that's just how it should be. And we should be opening up to minorities and other voices, but also like if, if don't push the diversity either. So it could go both ways. I think, I think, you know, have just have people who feel the project the best mm -hmm. and, and know, understand what that is. And if it happens to be not no white people in there. Cool. But like, I also feel like a lot of times too, well, when you push the diversity, because we talked about this in another episode, if you're pushing it just to have it there without it being like the best people for the role, you end up having those token characters, you know, and that's like yeah, not that's doing it right. <laughs> well, and I think like for that, that comes down to great. You were thinking about the casting and you were thinking about putting that white people in the video, but you weren't thinking about who's in the room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so now those characters feel like token tokens. Right. Not because you push diversity, but because you didn't get the right people behind the scenes to make that better. So it's, it kind of goes hand in hand way. Like Bojack Horseman is a prime example, I think, where Alison Brie is playing a Vietnamese character and that shouldn't be happening. But at the end, once they realized that that was the mistake, they got a lot of consultants behind the character to write the character accurately, to talk mm -hmm. about the Vietnamese experience. They got a lot more Asian writers and Asian consultants behind the scenes mm -hmm. to talk about that experience. And so the casting was still wrong, but they were like, well, we're going to do this the best we can now that we've already made this mistake. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not, I feel like 
with diversity, it's not just one thing. And a lot of people think, oh, it's all about just what's on camera. And while that's super important, it's also who's behind the camera. And a lot of people aren't thinking about that. They're just like, well, we put a bunch of Latinx people in this, but all the whiter, the writers, the whiters, the writers are white. <laughs> a little Freudian slip there. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to use that now for any show that's like super whitewashed. Be like, yeah, well, the whiters didn't. <laughs> no, it's so no, but you're true. right. You're, yeah. you're 100% right. Thank you. Well said. Better than I said it. Like. <laughs> well i get what you're saying because it does that does happen where it feels like oh you just did it for, for the sake of having it and now it feels like the character is tokenized and it really just it's just because they weren't thinking of the whole picture they were thinking mm-hmm. of one part of the picture and that's about that's a valid thing that is needed but there is so much more to making these experiences and making these people come to life on the screen that a lot of people just forget about they're and I I always pride I always want someone to try. I never want someone to be scared of trying. Uh I've had I've heard, you know, writers go, Oh, well, I'll just only write what I am and I'll never write anyone else. And I'm like, no, don't do that. I am one hundred percent don't want you to do that. I want you to consult people. I want you to show your writing to other people of that experience to make sure that you're capturing it accurately. I don't want I you love to that. never like you can't no at the end of the day like I still write male characters I'm not a man Mm -hmm. but I like I like writing men I think it's fun I think it's something interesting to get into the head of that I don't always get to experience like and I think the same should be true of men writing women I just also think I don't know what it's like to be a man I have to go out of my way to like have people read it and like make sure that it sounds good yeah and it's the same for men writing women like just Put in that little bit of extra love and effort, and eventually you will get the best product. I have a friend who's a white man who writes a really good comic called The Black Dahlias, and it's all about women standing up for other women and taking down, like, the patriarchy. But he consulted other women. He had them read it. He had women of color read it. He had a woman do the art. Like, he did a bunch of stuff to try and make sure that the story he was telling worked. He wasn't just, like oh, I'm a white man going to tell a story. He was like, I think this is a story that needs to be told. I have the voice to tell it. And I have a good community that will tell me if I'm telling it wrong. I love that. And I think that's just key. Like, it's, I love the, I love the consulting aspect of it. And I think that's just, I, as I'm someone who writes too for our stuff. And I think that can be scary. You know, you're like being vulnerable as you are just writing something. And so I can get the intimidation behind that, but I love like your words of encouragement there. And I think to, yeah, just ask people for opinions and advice who have gone through those experiences or are that person. I think that's amazing. And like, not that hard to do, especially, you know, if they're a friend or, you know, someone, you know, relatively, you know, well, like, you know, just do that extra step. I love that. Yeah. Well, and that's why, like, sensitivity consultants have become such a big thing now. Like, the idea of someone whose job it is to read this and check for these things and make sure that you are handling the material in a sensitive and accurate way. Like, which is a great job. I'm like, great. We need that because everyone's lives are so, so different. And people don't... People are people, yes. 
But at the end of the day, the color of your skin, your sexuality, all of those things affect your experiences and affect the way you live your life. And we can't forget that. I I am also a big proponent of, I want to see a movie about a Black person that's not about why they're Black. I just want to see a movie about them being a person. Yeah. But them being Black is still going to affect the narrative, and Mm -hmm. you still need Black people on the project to make that narrative work. You can't just be like, oh, because it's not about race. Like, we can do whatever we want. It's like, no, no, you can't, because their experience is still, that that person is still going to experience things differently than a white person in that world, and that's just how it works. Like, you can't ignore that aspect of it, which is why you need people of that experience working on those projects. Absolutely. I think that's really important. A lot of feelings. Yeah. Like, that's not something I think a lot of people think about. Like, you know, that it's not just the actor on screen. Like you said, it's the people behind the camera. You know, that it's it all comes together to build that experience. Yeah. Are you a podcaster like us? Vlogger? Interview conductor? Do you need a VO booth or ADR? Remote audio video professional recording? Ooh, Tessa spilled the tea. Well, the Network Studios in Culver City is a fully functional recording oasis with multiple rooms made to cater specifically to audio podcasts, video interviews, and voiceover, plus an experienced sound engineer with the ability to edit and master, all your needs will be covered. Audio engineer extraordinaire Mike Casentini has worked with several podcast heavy hitters and got us started from the ground up. He's the reason we sound so good. Plus, all of our in-studio guests have been very impressed. To find out more, visit www.thenetworkstudios.com and book your next recording session. COVID compliant and open for business. So, Blythe, take us back just a little bit. Um, You started out as a production assistant. And how did you start, like, getting to work with these companies? Was it just by networking at the first company that you're at? And, and then, like, when did you transition to, like, owning your identity? Like, do you remember that moment where you're like, I'm going to finally put, like, I'm going to just, you know, put it on my LinkedIn and, like, let it, let it wave? <laughs> I, so I started as a production assistant. I, I got incredibly lucky. And I'm going to admit that luck was a big part of my story. And I think that anyone in the industry has to kind of admit that. Yeah, um, we've heard it <laughs> time and again. <laughs> But my, one of my friends, I, I came to LA for the first time ever in 2011, like first time ever visiting LA and I loved it and I thought it was amazing. And a really good friend of mine set me up with a producer at G4 Studios back when that was a thing. And he was like showing me around the G4 and the E Studios and just talking to me. And we watched a taping of one of the shows he was working on. And mind you, this is the first time I've ever met the man. Mm-hmm. We're just having a good time. There's no, like, no, I'm not gunning for anything. He's mm-hmm. not gunning for anything. We're just hanging out. Yeah. And I moved out here. Like, we stayed in touch. I moved out here in 2014 and let him know. Just like, hey, I moved out here. Um, that's it. And he was like, cool, I have an internship for you. And so he got me this internship at a very small time digital company, but they were a lot of the former people who worked with G4. So they were all kind of relatively connected to other companies. 
And then at that company, we got a deal with Lionsgate, which is how I ended up working with Lionsgate, was we were doing a bunch of nerdy, they wanted to do like a nerd thing. So we were doing a bunch of nerdy shows for them. And that's how I ended up getting that is they were like, well, we're going to hire you on full time and put you in this role. And it was still like a skeleton crew. So that's how I ended up being associate producer. But I was also like costumer. I made props for the show. I was the AD some days. I was like, in some ways, the showrunner because we kept changing the lead producer so many times that I was like, I just was the only one who knew how the show worked in and out. So I ended up doing everything for it. (laughs) Um, which was a value, like, it sucked, kind of, but it was also a super valuable experience because it meant that I learned how All to do so many things. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And through that, from there, like, a few other, I'm going to admit, everyone who's taken me places has been a white man <laughs> uh, who's liked me and been like, I want to keep working with you and I want to keep, like, bringing you into yeah. projects. That's awesome. Like, the only job I didn't get with a connection is Fine Brothers. I applied for that one cold online and got that on, got that through that. But mm-hmm. everywhere else, I've just been like, I made a good impression on somebody and they took me with them wherever. And Microsoft actually was the same, that same friend, Sean, who helped me get my first gig, brought me to Microsoft. And at the time, I was still pretty fresh. It was 2017, so I'd only really been working in the industry for, like, two full years, Mm -hmm. roughly, because I started, like, early 2015 with that internship. And he was like, I'm going to sell you as an associate producer, like, but you're going to be doing the job of a segment producer. Like, I just want to get you in the room so that you have this. And that sounds really cheap. A lot of people will say, like, don't take those, but, like, if someone says they're trying to get you to do the work of a higher up position, but they're selling you as cheaper, just take it. Cause sometimes it means you will get, you'll get a lot of experience and you will probably get a better title than you thought you were going to get. Yeah. Because when I was there, I started doing the work and he was like, Oh, I'm getting you a promotion instantly. And he got me a pay raise and a promotion Oh my because God. he realized I knew how to do the job Yeah. and I did it well. That's awesome. Yep. So just getting your foot in the door that way. Yep. Yeah. Like, People who are willing, like, if someone is willing to take a chance on you and sell you to a company like Microsoft or Lionsgate, it it's a little bit of a bummer when it's not really to your skill level, but, like, take it, because sometimes, if, if your skill level is as good as you think it is, it will show, and yeah. they will see it. Mm-hmm. It isn't always that easy to get a promotion. I was, I had someone in my corner who was very much fighting for me and ha- happened to also be my boss at the place. Mm-hmm. So I got it. So it's not it's not always as easy to get the promotion as you want because there's still a lot of issues with you know, a man's probably getting I have I have witnessed men and other people get promoted before me yeah. who were at a company with less who are at the same company with less time there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like I've been here a year working my butt off for you, but cool. That's yeah. fine. It's fine. Uh that person's been here three months. Um, (laughs) But it is a lot of my journey has been networking and making friends and just showing people that I care and am passionate about it. And something that I think a lot of people see with me and I care, like I care a lot about my work. I don't want to put, I don't care if the project is as simple as teams react 
to upcoming movie trailers or if the project is as like nebulous and elaborate as like I did uh when I worked for IGN we were actually doing a show for Disney Mm -hmm. and like we had to go to comic-con and book out interviews and do all this stuff and like that that was a massive project and it was going on a cable channel yeah um but at the end of the day like I don't care those projects to me are the same Mm -hmm. They have to be just as good as, as good as I am able to make it. I'm going to make it that good. And that's something that I think a lot of my bosses and my people I've worked with see is how much I care and how dedicated I am to the work I do, because I don't want to put something out in the world with my name on it. Like I'm going to be like, if my name is on that, I'm going to make it as good as I can. Right. Some days that's, you know, it's not, sometimes things don't work because production is a beast and all <sighs> everything that can go wrong will exactly I, I think that's important for everyone <laughs> to know in whatever setting you are production is production mm-hmm. and even working in the big companies that you're that i think the first person to speak on those scales because usually we're, we're working with independent filmmakers that have on we have on the show and it's i think it's it's still interesting to hear that it just, it doesn't matter what yeah. set you're on. Set life yeah. is set life. As a matter of fact, I would like to apologize to you and our listeners because apparently they're renovating the apartment above me. So they're hammering away right now in the middle of our episode. <laughs> I know. I was going to be like, Tessa, are they fucking even doing this I, right now? They've got to be renovating it. It's, I mean, that's not like a normal person, like putting a nail in a wall. So, <laughs> so yeah, just goes to show. Yeah. Like you said, everything that can go wrong will. But, you know, yeah, you can only, all you can do is work your hardest and bring, you know, what you can to the table and do your best. And it's going to show, you know, the work speaks for itself. Oh, yeah. And how you handle problems is also like a big thing uh, that I've noticed that when you, so everything that can go wrong will, and it's entirely just how you pivot because a lot of production and I think for most people, this would drive them crazy. But like, for me, I kind of love it. It's the moment where you're like, everything is falling apart. And now I just have to fix it. And I'm gonna because if I don't, there's no show. And there's almost, I feel like a lot of creatives thrive in that moment. And if you don't thrive in that moment, you're in the wrong industry. Mm -hmm. And I, I do a lot of live work and live work goes wrong all the time. And it's entirely whether or not the audience notices it went wrong. And sometimes they do. A lot of the time they don't. And it's because behind the scenes, we're all like running around like little Spongebobs with everything on fire. (laughs) How do we fix it? (laughs) What's going on? Is it that issue? Is that thing exploding? What's happening? And you just, in the moment, you, there's almost a sense of calm. After that fire moment, the calm sets in and you just fix it. Mm-hmm. You just go and you're like, okay, so that computer's overheating. We got to like fix that and then switch to this one. Just you can toss to this footage right now because that was intended for this break anyway. So like, let's just get the host to toss there and we'll roll over it with blah, blah. Like so many ways to just in the moment go, okay, we have ways to kill time. Let's just kill the time and fix the issue. And to the audience, it just looks like, oh, there's new videos rolling or whatever. Right. Um, I love that. <laughs> That's so much. And I think that just speaks so much to the producer role, like your job to just maintain. But also, I, I mean, yes, I look as someone who likes to be in control. 
I do think it is kind of fun to be like, all right, chaos has an and we gotta just roll with it, guys. I'm freaking out, but it's all good. Like, and I think I think it could be some. We talk about this on the show sometimes. Those occurrences make it make whatever creativity that you hadn't thought about just better. Like you come up with better ideas on that spot because you're forced with some limitations, and then you're like, oh wait, actually, probably better that. The horse flies that way because yeah. they have wings all of a sudden. And, <laughs> you know, that's just where it's going to go. Um, so it's just, I, but I do think, yeah, you have to, you have to just kind of be that kind of person though. Like it's not suited for everyone. <laughs> no. And I think you can learn it. I have definitely met production assistants who, like I had interns that I worked with at other jobs where I was like, oh my God, you are, why are you like this? And now they're really good at stuff like but because because they wanted to be so it was like even though when I worked with them I was like oh my god you are so frustrating now I'm like and now I see them and they're going for it and they keep going for it and they just keep trying and they weren't afraid to fail and I was like okay you know what like clearly something clicked for you eventually and now you're good at this thing and now you're working really hard so I'm never gonna discredit someone who's not good right away but there is a little bit of a like, first impressions in the industry matter, and I think, like, that can never be overlooked. Like, you might not be good at something, but if you show how hard you are trying and how hard you want the thing, like, yeah. someone's going to see it and someone's going to resonate with it and keep giving you chances. It's what you do. Now, you, you do have to still work hard and you still have to take advantage of those chances. Like, I talk a lot about how people have brought me onto projects, but the reason I keep getting brought onto other projects is because I made it, I kept making a good impression. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they saw me as a golden child the one time and the next time I wasn't as good. It was like, oh, she she works really hard and she's just as dedicated. So like, we're going to keep working with her. And that's like how I shine, like how I shined. Right. So while I mentioned luck as being a big part of how I got into the industry, my hard work is how I kept in the industry. And I think it's a bit yeah, of... snaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, people think, oh, it's all luck. And it is. Like, part of it is luck. Yeah. That's a big part of it. But people forget the part where you have to keep doing the work. Like, you can't just stop. You can't just expect people to keep giving you jobs. It's like, well there's a point at which I have to be doing my own thing. And like LinkedIn as a platform is great. I've connected to several recruiters. I, my current job, I got reached out to by a recruiter. That's how I got the job at three black dot that I have currently. Like she just reached out to me cold and was like, Hey, later I found out a guy from three years ago that I haven't spoken to in three years recommended me. Yeah. But I didn't, you didn't know that. that But, like, he's great. He's just not on social media. Like, he's a really nice person. But, like, there's a lot of work you can do, and a lot of it is networking and making friends and making valuable connections. And people think networking is just, like, kissing up and, like, trying to get the person to like you. And it's, like, just make friends with people. If they like you, they'll work with you. Like, that's that's all I've ever done is I just was, like... I'm friends with half my bosses. We talk to each other. I hang out with one. When the world was still open, I went to the Magic Castle with one regularly. Like, 
<laughs> I mean, that's, that's awesome. the networking that actually creates those relationships. If you are just yeah. like asking for favors, sucking up to people, whatever, like people are going to they forget feel it. you. Yeah. And they feel that. It's not genuineness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And like, I, I feel like right now with the world being closed down, it is kind of hard to feel like, Hey, cause I generally want to make connections, especially for our show and like bringing on voices, but also like, so yeah, I can meet new people in a different circle that I don't have. And that's why I was saying earlier, like, just be smart with the way you approach someone, because if it is just like, there is nothing wrong with a little flattery and, and, and but you know, research that person, make sure you know what you're talking about. And that's a way to make it genuine. Cause it is hard right now with everything to like, be like, all right. Yeah. Like for, cause our listeners, it's like, all right, well, I can't just grab drinks. Like it's probably not possible right now. Cause to be safe, but you can still make those genuine interactions just by the way you approach someone or show what kind of like be specific, like show them like that you do care about their work or who yeah. they are as a person. And I think that's how you can start to make genuine connections. Yeah. Also, don't over don't look overlook Facebook because I've actually made a lot of job connections on Facebook. I know it's gas. not the best gas. social media platform, Light. but what audible? Gas. I know, I know, but I literally I met a lead development exec at Cartoon Network just by complaining about an old job of mine, and she reached out to me and was like, "Hey, I like what you had to say." And we started talking for a while. Unfortunately, the world hasn't opened back up, so we can't meet. But, like, we just talked. Mm -hmm. And she asked me, like, what kind of content I like and what cartoons I like. And, like, she was like, do you like animation? Would you ever consider going into animation? And we were just talking. And she was asking me because she, literally because I said something about an old job of mine on a friend's Facebook. And she saw it and reached out. So, like, (laughs) those... The weirdest things can happen. It can happen on Twitter. Yeah. It can happen on LinkedIn. It can happen on Instagram. It can happen on Facebook. It can happen anywhere. But I, I've had a lot of luck on Facebook, actually, in terms of making connections and getting jobs. And like, I'm in several like producer Facebook groups that talk about well. It the sounds industry. like sorry to interrupt, but it, it like what it's sounding like is that you have kind of a platform there where you share your voice and are and opinions on. So maybe that Facebook, like I hate sharing shit on Facebook about my, like even about our production stuff, it's rare that I like post something, but I'm like, okay, like family and friends, they're, they're the good, the people who support you first and, and like supposedly. So <laughs> I go back there time to time, but really for, for us, it's like Instagram, I would say, you know, but where see, I get a lot from my Facebook. So it, it is, it's where you're like, present. Tessa, you, you vocal on there. Well, that's what I mean. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's where exactly. you, you know, where you're present. So I think that's yeah. what's key is like, you know, if you do already have community, do you like to use that platform? I think that's why you thrive there. And, and that's something to, you know, take note of, um, listeners. It's just like, yeah, like, that's where you can set up yourself for success and build and it's but also the more places that you do make yourself and force yourself to be present the more opportunity you have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the other i i am not the biggest fan of social media at times it can be very frustrating girl but i have had know. a lot of luck at building community and making friends on it mm-hmm. and it's a double-edged sword yeah. like i am very active on twitter instagram and facebook like I try to stay that way and it's, it's been, it's been for the better to do that. Like 
That's awesome. I had another, I've had other podcast people reach out to me to do interviews because of that. They're like, oh, I saw you this thing you said on Twitter and I liked it and want to talk. So don't, don't dismiss social media. It can get you a lot of notice. I also got like, um, the showrunner of one day at a time was like doing free advice for a bit on like how to get noticed. And I tweeted at her and she responded. So like, take, take advantage of those situations. Social media is a great way to stay connected. It can be a bit of an energy suck and it can be a lot of work, but the work is usually worth it. Yeah. Is what I've noticed. Absolutely. Well, speaking of social media, um, if you could let our guests know where they can find you, whether social media, website, um, you personally, or if you want to share for the company you're working for now, like any, anything you want Tips to share. It out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I am very active. Uh, I am on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch at BlytheColin93. Um, I am also, I actually run a lot of tabletop games on the internet, and I do that on Saturdays for uh, It's Probably Okay on Twitch. And on YouTube, It's Probably Okay Games, where I play, I run a Star Wars game because I'm a big Star Wars nerd. Guys, she is and... drinking from an R2-D2 mug as we speak. <laughs> it is adorable. Life, you are adorable. <laughs> I also run games as a way to tell stories. Uh, when you're not in a writer's room, running a great game is a great way to tell a story and write your own work and show that you can tell a story. So yeah. it's still a great thing to do. Um, I also have a website that's blythecollar.com. You can see a little bit of my resume and like some of the work I've done. Um, what else am I doing? Uh, oh, Happy Jacks RPGs. On Mondays, I will be playing in a game there. So if you follow me on social media, I'll start updating when that happens. And I think I think that's everything right now. Um, you should check out Three Black Dot, though. They're a pretty cool company, and they're very, very uh, into diversity and diverse storytelling. And they don't have, like, a distinct platform yet, but they do a lot of really cool work, and I think they're going to be up and coming. Uh, they also produced uh, Queen and Slim, so nice. that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm excited to, like, really dive into your work more and check out that company. And, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I'm, I'm following both, but I'm definitely going to follow and who knows maybe maybe we'll do a game yeah <laughs> might join you on twitch maybe we'll join you on twitch who knows girl who knows <laughs> thank you so much for coming on today Blythe though this was a great conversation I think it's so it's so many important topics to make sure that we're talking about you know because if you're not talking about it and talking about it, especially in a public platform like this, yeah, people aren't going to be aware of it and nothing's going to change. So thank you so much. Yeah, we truly appreciate, you know, your openness and your voice and what you're doing. So I'm super happy that you decided to come on and give us a chance. <laughs> us fam girls. So, <laughs> Thanks for listening to Fem Regard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in next time for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals over tea. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you leave us a great comment, we might give you a shout-out on the show. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 